everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Ruby for All. Julie, what's up? The sky. The sky. Sweet. <laughs> hey, it's one of those weeks. We were talking before this. It is one of those weeks. So we're going to talk about something fun this week, which is development gems. Gems that we like to use in development and maybe even a little testing. But I think I want to talk specifically about development because... Those are the fun things, right? Some mm-hmm. of the gems that you get to use in development are things that like just enhance your life and do like developer experience stuff and just make things easier and do little tricks and stuff. And I love that stuff. If I could do one thing forever, it would be building tools like that. That's awesome. I look forward to this episode because I don't know many development gems and I look forward to hearing a lot about them and your favorite ones. Well, you did mention one that I really like too, right when we were talking about this. So why don't we get started with that one? Okay. The one that I really like is Faker. I looked at the source code for this gem just because I understood what I was using like as a user. And so I thought that maybe looking at the source code would help me get better at source code. So that was one of the gems I looked at where I looked at how the code was implemented. Not a lot. So don't ask me any questions about it. What does it do? Okay. So in testing, I like to use Faker a lot because I want to use fake data. I Mm -hmm. don't want to come up with my own fake data. For example, if I'm creating a course and the course has a description and a title, I can actually use Faker to pull in random data and then point that to a variable. And then in my test, I can refer back to it. So I'm not having to create any of my own thing. And then what's really nice about Faker is there's these options that you can do, such as making something unique so that it is different across some of your tests. Yep. Faker generates fake data for all sorts of things. I use it in tests as well, but I also really like using it for seeds because when I used to create seeds, my thing was like, I'll create student and I'll do it in a loop. So I'll have I as like the integer controlling the number. And then every student is student one, student two. And I'm just creating them in a loop like that. But Faker is a lot better for stuff like that, specifically because one thing that's hard to spot when you're using data like that in development is issues with your UI with like names. Like if you have a really long last name and really short first name, or if your names are a certain way or this or that, like you can help spot other issues with your designs by this data. And it also can help you spot issues in the way you're handling certain things. What if you're like splitting a name by a quotation mark, but there's actually people in the world who have quotation marks in their name. So that was the first thing that came to my brain. But there are a lot of things like that where, especially with email addresses too, phone numbers, it can help you spot things and issues in your business logic potentially. But it's also just really nice to like get actual looking data in your database instead of like customer one, customer two, customer email one, customer (laughs) email two. So that's what Faker is. I love Faker. It's a great one. really good point. Better than this is a description for course one. This is a description for course two. (laughs) Right, right. I used to do things like I would type in foobar and then multiply it by like 800. (laughs) Like that's a paragraph. (laughs) I'm very partial to foobar. Do you know about annotate? I love annotate gem. I have not heard of annotate. So whenever I go into my model for my post, I'm like looking through my model and I'm like, okay, I got these validations. But then I forget what are all the column names on this table? And what annotate will do is put a comment 
whenever you run your migrations, it'll add a comment to every single model file. And it can do this in tests. It can do this in factories. It can do this all over the place in your application. It can add a basically comment with the table, like all the details of the table name and all the rows and what the row column types are. And so every time you go into a model, the table is like straight at the top of the file as a comment and it's continuously updated whenever you run your migrations. And it's just like an easy way to like stay in context and still have access to all the information you need. That is ridiculous because in my side project right now, I'm constantly forgetting the names of my columns and I have to go back to the schema file and then go find the table and then look at the column names that way. But I guess have seen annotate before because I think Ruby for Goods Casa project has those, like you were mentioning, the comments. I thought someone just went in and copied no. over. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a lot of work. So that's what makes annotate so great because you're right. It would be a huge pain in the butt if you committed to that pattern of every time someone had to go do this. But no, it runs every time you run your migrations and that's perfect. Because if I add a new column, I run the migrations and I commit that to main. No one else has to do it. It's automatically there for everyone. Yeah, I love it. I've tried things in the past. Like there was a VS Code extension I tried that would put all the table names and you could like scroll through. It didn't have a great UI. And this is just so much faster, especially if you have it at the top of your test too. It's just like, you never have to wonder like, oh, what is this key? And like, what type is it? And like this and that. What are the defaults? What's the default for this column? Like, you don't have to wonder anymore. It's just right there. I love it. I cannot wait to install this gem on my new project. Thank you so much. Yep. You got it. I love that one. Bullet. So now Rails comes with the new Rack Mini Profiler. So Rack Mini Profiler comes in all new Rails apps now, which is like a profiling thing for your Rails app that kind of sits in the top corner. You can see like profiling things about your requests and stuff like that. Yes. Julie. Can you? <laughs> she raised her I hand raised for everyone. Yeah, she raised her hand. <laughs> I got confused. Can you go back a step and explain what you were trying to describe? Yes. Rag Mini Profiler is a profiling toolkit for Rack applications with Rails integration. It helps you client side profiling, database profiling, and server profiling. And in the new Rails versions, I think in Rails 7, is, I don't remember if it was in Rails 6 or not. But what it does is it has like this little middleware that displays a speed badge on all your pages. So at the top left corner by default, there's a little badge and it tells you, I think it has like the time it took for the request. And if you click on that badge, it'll expand and have all this other more information. And you can add flame graphs and memory profiling and garbage collection stats and global allocation metrics and this and that and things that I can't explain. So don't ask me to, please. <laughs> <laughs> I can't explain some of them, but it's basically a nice little tool that helps you profile your speed in your app. My coworker, Vincent, did a great explanation of how you can actually use it, which is not public, but it's something that like a lot of people kind of just like glance past, I feel like. And it's something that you can really use to help find like issues in your app and like things that are maybe being loaded poorly or things that need to be cached. It's just a nice tool that's just added by default into Rails. That sounds all amazing. I am trying to kind of picture how this works. Is it on every file? Are there files that won't have this? 
It's on the views. So as you're clicking around the UI of your app, it's a little like badge that sits in the top corner. And the way the CSS works is like your page is like a layer back and this badge is at the top. So it's like no matter where you are, it just kind of sits at the top. And if you click it, it like expands into like something bigger. Cool. What did you do that made this thing useful? Did you have a a leak somewhere or something that made it slow and you figured out through this thing how to fix that? What I do like to use it for is like, sometimes I go on a page and something's just not right with the SQL. I can just see in the Rails logs, like I'm at that point where like I can look in the Rails logs and as the Rails logs are scrolling past, as I load a page, I can say something's wrong here. And then what this tool is really nice for is like, I can click into it and see like when I loaded this action, it ran 13 SQL calls. Why is it running 13 SQL calls? I don't know. Let's click in and figure that out. What are those queries? How can they be optimized? Okay, well, like this can be, if we include this when we're loading this collection, then it will eager load and then we don't have to blah, blah, blah. It's like a basic really way to like start diagnosing like performance problems in your application. Nice. Awesome. I wouldn't say it's an advanced tool, but it's something that as you get more experience becomes a lot more helpful. Yeah, it sounds like something I would like to play around with just to get more acquainted with some of these things. Right. It's 100% something that like the more you look at it, if you just make it like a habit to like kind of look at it, like when you're working on a page and if it's installed in your application, it's just right there. The more of a habit you make of looking at it, the more over time you will start to see patterns and your brain will start to be like, okay, wait, like this and that. I start to remember, okay... Why is this view rendering this many times or something like that? Why is the memory so high on this? And you may not know the answer to fix them right now, but over time, as you start to like fix one of them, you learn how to solve an N plus one problem. And then, so whenever you see an N plus one problem, you start to recognize that in the profiling stuff, and then you know how to solve that. And over time, as you like stack up all these different problems that you see, you will eventually know how to solve them. But the only way to do that is to know that they're happening. And that's why just looking at this is can be quite helpful. Hey there, I'm Andrew Mason, and I've got an amazing gem to tell you about, Avo. It helps you build content management systems and internal tools with Ruby on Rails incredibly fast. You don't need to deal with any CSS or JavaScript files as Avo takes care of all the UI work for you, resulting in a modern, mobile-first CRUD interface ready to deploy. Plus, it provides access to features almost every application needs, like actions, filters, search, sorting, active storage integration, dashboards, and much more. So if you're looking for an ultra-powerful and maintainable platform to build your next product or service, look no further. Avo harnesses the power of Rails, Hotwire, Tailwind CSS, few components to provide you with a fast and easy-use stack the Rails way. Don't wait any longer. Visit avohq.io and give Avo a try today. You won't regret it. I was trying to talk about Bullet before I mentioned this. And Bullet is an N plus one detection gem. Oh, okay. So now can you yeah. also explain what N plus one problem is? Yes. Yes, <laughs> I can. So this is what the N plus one problem is. I think Rails has introduced something recently. I don't remember what it is, but this has been always been a problem with writing Rails that you can open yourself up to writing these very easily. So there's several tools out there. I think Rails is even implementing some built-in things to help guard against this. But the N plus one problem is when you're retrieving data from your database and you fetch a collection of objects, like a list of customers, and then it performs a separate query for each object 
to retrieve related data for that thing. So let's say you have a list of customers and then customers have, I don't know, profiles, which is a separate table for some reason for this example. It collects every single customer and then it collects using that customer object and then collects every customer profile. And it does that for every single one. But what you really only want from that customer profile are a few things, right? So what if in when you're calling the SQL, you get the object and that related information in one call instead of having to make a call to each table or make it a really unperformant call like that? Because the first query is to get a list of the customers and then a separate query to get each customer and to get their orders. Instead of doing that, you want to be able to do what? There's something in Rails called includes. And what it allows you to do is basically say, hey, I'm requesting the customers, but I'm also going to need certain information about the customer profiles. So basically preload that information, I think is how it works. It's a way to basically say, I'm going to want this information too, so get it. And don't make a separate query when I need it because I want you to just get it all. I think that's probably the greatest way of explaining it. That might be something when Andy comes back on, we can get him to explain for us. That's what I've learned while doing this podcast with you. When I see an M plus one, I know exactly what it is and I know how to fix it. If you ask me, if you explain an M plus one, I'm like, it's when the Rails logs look like this, you know? But and not only what, that, I need you to explain it like I'm five. I need it explained to me like I'm five. Um, but Bullet is a gem that used to be very, very popular. It's still active, like it's still actively being committed to. So I just haven't used it as recently. But it does have a honey badger adapter, which is cool. What Bullet does is designed to help you increase your applications by performance by reducing the number of queries it makes. And what it does is it'll watch your queries when you're developing and notify you when you should add eager loading to fix M plus one queries. And when you're using eager loading, that is not necessary. And you can just use counter cache. Please ask me what a counter cache is. I don't know. Counter cache. Did we not talk about that on our previous episode? Because I feel like I talked about it at some point. I can't explain it, but I've had it now explained to me twice. And I want to say it's something where the database is able to give you something without querying for it. And you have to use counter cache and we'll end it there. And if there if somebody wants to go more sounds into right, it, can look sounds it right to me. <laughs> you mentioned that there is a honey badger adapter. So does that mean that if the numbers are crazy or something, honey badger will let you know? You can add notifications to honey badger. So like when you're getting these errors, of like, hey, you need to be using eager loading here because you're triggering M plus one. You can have that send to Honey Badger so that these alerts are in Honey Badger where where your whole team can see them, right? Now you're supposed to run this in development, I think, but I've run it in production before because I do things that not everyone should do. <laughs> but it's nice because production also can expose things that sometimes development can't because of data things and this and that. But basically, it's a way to catch your M plus ones. It's really nice because. It alerts you, right? It helps you remember. It's just like the mini profiler thing where it's like, okay, I know I should be using includes here, but I'm just not thinking about it because I'm just trying to write this where query. So it's put in your face, lets you know, make your app better and do it in development so that by the time it gets to production, you don't have it in plus one because you already know because Bullet would have told you. And it's not going to get to everything, but it's better than nothing. Cool. You also mentioned like over time, when you look at this thing, you can kind of get acquainted with like knowing when things are wrong and how to fix them. I think you also mentioned like at this point, you can look at your Rails logs and kind of see that there's a problem. And I want to also 
emphasize like I never looked at my Rails logs before. And I think that's a problem. And I want to be better about looking at my Rails logs because there's so many things in there that can tell you when things aren't going right. Like I one day noticed that it was just running constantly. My app is working fine, but it was running constantly. And mm-hmm. I, ne- I never noticed it because I would have it behind other screens. But I think it's important that we actually take a look at it more often than we do. It's one of those things where at the very beginning, you're like, okay, the Rails logs are where I go when I have a problem. And then over time, you're like, the Rails logs are something I have open when I'm running the application because over time you get better at parsing the logs. Like one of the big problems that a lot of juniors I work with have right out of the gate is like they get an error. What does this mean? And over time, by reading and becoming more and more familiar with the Rails logs, you be able to like almost chunk the information, the important information appropriately. You're like, okay, they're just scrolling by, but out of the corner of my eye, I see loading this record 800 times. Like, wait, that's the M plus one. And then you can like spot errors faster. Like, hey, unpermitted params. I'm like, oh, it's not causing an error, but it's causing my application not to work the way I want it to, right? I'm trying to add these params. Why is this record not updating? Well, unpermitted params. I can see that when I spit the form if the Rails logs are open. Okay, cool. Letter opener web. If you write a lot of emails in development, or if you're working with a lot of emails and you have emails sending when certain actions occur, for instance, when you log into Podia, we have like 2FA. We're going to send you a code and you're going to need to enter that code. But as a developer, like I'm trying to log into this application, right? So as soon as our app sends the email, it'll automatically open a new tab in Safari with preview of that email. And then I can copy the code straight out of there. So it's basically a way in development to give an interface for browsing like the sent emails that your application is sending. Because the last thing you want is for your application to be sending actual emails. <laughs> And in development, because I've seen that before. And that's scary. That's scary. Very, very scary. So this is just a really nice way to get it right there. So you can see it if you're working with emails and you need to preview things, just have it open a preview of the email. Like you can add Rails previews like as tests, I think they work kind of like that. But that's not normally when I want to see a preview of the email. When I want to see a preview of the email is when it's been sent from my application development. I want to see it right then because that may have information I need. And this will do that. So it sends your email a email that you can preview. Whenever in development, your Rails app tries to send an email, it will basically open that email in a browser tab as like an HTML preview. And so it's basically, I think there's, you set it, the delivery method to letter opener web, which like I said, the name of this gem. So you're saying in development, my delivery method is this. And what then knows how to do is like, whenever you deliver met- like emails using this, I'm going to show them in this web UI. Okay, cool. That one's really helpful. Love that one. I haven't had to send emails out for any of my, at least my side projects. So I haven't used that. That's nice. But it sounds very useful. Email's a pain. <laughs> That's probably why I haven't tried. <laughs> The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many ways for startups to lose money. Downtime should not be one. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute. A monthly subscription with HoneyBadger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy-to-use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which helps you stay in business. Get started today in as little as five minutes at honeybadger.io with plans starting at free. Yeah, you heard me, free. A big thank you to Honey Badger for sponsoring this episode of Ruby for All. Standard, 
I love Sanders. Sanders Alinter. I think we've covered a little bit on previous episodes, but I install it on every single app or gem or Ruby project or anything. I use it for everything, no matter what, because I want to hit save and I want all my code to be one format, no matter how I choose to write it. And I don't care what that format is, as long as when I hit save, it does it. <laughs> and that way, when I'm committing code and you're committing code and someone else is committing code, it all looks the same. And we don't have to debate on the semantics of the code, which is stuff I've had to do in the past for teams that don't use linters. And that is the worst, especially if you're ADHD inclined and you're inclined to like get stuck on little details like that. You're like, how do I format this array? Like, should it be on multiple lines or should it be like this? And you're like, I don't care. And I don't want my brain to worry about that crap. So use a linter, please, or formatter, whatever you want to call it. So I've got a few questions here. Is standard different from RuboCop? Standard is built on top of RuboCop. So RuboCop you... is notoriously something that you have to configure the crap out of. And standards like, hey, what if we just make RuboCop with all these defaults so that you don't have to change them? Oh, okay. And then when you hit save, automatically updates for you. Is that yes. because of standard? It depends on like whatever editor you're running or if you're using a gem like overcommit, which is like commit hooks. However you choose to run it is your thing. I have it in my editor so that my editor knows when I hit save, it automatically formats the standard. We do use RuboCop. I don't think we use standard. And what is annoying for me is when I hit save, it doesn't automatically change it until I go and I push up my code. And then it tells me, hey, your RuboCop's here, but I'd like it to just do it for me. If it's something that it can be changed, like spacing or how to set up an array, for example, I'd love it to just do it for me instead of me having to look at every single one of those. <laughs> well, if you remind me, I could probably help you fix that because I am the VS Code Whisperer. Breakman is a security analysis tool in a very much similar fashion to the way standard will catch formatting issues. Breakman will catch issues where you are potentially opening yourself up to security issues like cross-site scripting, SQL injection, the list goes on. I don't have a list in front of me, but there's a long list. And that is what Breakman is for. A lot of people just assume Rails is secure out of the box. I mean, for the large part, it is, but it's not going to be able to stop you from screwing things up. So I think a lot of us take security a little bit more for granted than we ought to. So I recommend Breakman as a first step to kind of get in there. First tried looking this up and I spelled it B-R-E-A-K. It's actually B-R-A-K-E in case it's you were like the, and wanting to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> it's spelled like the brakeman of a train. Oh, okay. So it's a little, little railsism. And we're going to have links to all of these in the show notes. So don't you worry, people. <laughs> Rails ERD is a gem. I actually showed that to you earlier, but I love it because... It's helped me a lot and I don't use it every day. I don't use it all the time. It's something I install when I need it. And it's a tool that will generate an ERD diagram for your entire application. And oftentimes when I'm new to an app, especially if the database is freaking out of control, I will print these off and tape them to my wall. And they may be like 30 or 40 sheets of paper, but at least I can then get like a visual of what the crap is going on here. So I really like that. Oh, you told me what it was. I forgot what it was. You're telling me again now. You mentioned ERD. What is ERD? Entity relationship diagram. So the relationship of your tables and how they connect. So like I have organization. It has many forms. 
So there's going to be organization table and it's going to have a list of all the attributes on it. And then I'll have a form table and then I'll have an arrow. NCD relationship diagrams is like a whole pattern and something that I learned in school, which I don't remember at all. I don't remember the exact syntax for it, but when I see them, I can read them. I am a very visual person. I need things to be visual. And that's the way I do that for databases because reading a schema is helpful, sure. But like, I want to see a picture. I am just blown away all of these gems. So for my side project, instead of just writing the tables that I would need, I drew pictures and arrows and which one goes back to which. And then, I mean, in a legacy code base, I don't know how to do that unless I sat there and drew a huge table, which I don't generally do. But this is blowing my mind right now that it creates ERD for you. Yeah. I've had to munge it in the past, but I, I kid you not, I've had diagrams that are like longer than like my wingspan going down like a whole wall and it's just one app. So oh if you need to see things as a picture, if it's like that bad, like that's there. I've worked with data teams in the past who have been like, wait, you can do that. They're like, We need that. And who've found like great help in me printing off ERD, even if it's not perfect. Especially if you're like a business intelligence team, that can be like a really helpful tool. Anything else you want to tell our listeners? Don't install a gem unless you need it. And there's a lot of value in installing a gem to do a specific thing and then removing it. Because at the end of the day, every single gem you add to your gem file introduces problems upgrading, introduces security issues, introduces this, introduces that. There's a lot of things you need to consider when adding a gem. So I mentioned all these gems that I absolutely love. I don't use them. I don't install them on every app, except for standard. (laughs) I do install that on every app. That's important to me. But there's a lot of value in being able to grab a tool out of your toolbox and use it and then stop using it when you're done. I don't need to generate a Rails ERD diagram for every single day. So do I really need that gem in my gem file? Or if I need to add it real quick, generate my diagram and then remove it. And that's totally fine. So you don't need every gem in the world. Having every gem is not as helpful as having a few that you absolutely rely on and know and use every day. Really great point. And I think that's it for us. So folks, we'll catch you next week. And Julie, I hope you have a good week. I got a new keyboard. I'm going to have fun setting that up right after this call. Mm -hmm. And we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Bye, everyone.